Well, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Praise him with the trumpet, praise him with the cornet, praise him with the harp, and praise him with the flute. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, for our sins he suffered and bled and died. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. God is good. If you're not saved this morning, today could be the good, glad day. Your name is recorded in eternal blood and in eternal book and in eternal city in the name of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm glad to be here today. After the weekend I had last week, Lord God, I'm glad to be anywhere. Son, I wouldn't care if this was the first Presbyterian church. I wouldn't care if it was the United Pentecostal Holiness Church. I honestly wouldn't care if it was the Apple Dumpling Church. It would not make a hill of beans a difference. Last week we were up here. Listen, my mama is so mad at y'all for taking me out of North Carolina and taking her grandbaby six hours away, and I finally got my mama convinced last weekend to come up here. So, I mean, I went all out. Brandon, I went, I went down to Enterprise, and I rented a 2023 Clinton Cadillac Escalade extended. Ca Son, you talk about high cotton. I was rolling in it last weekend. Mama got in there, and we got roughly to about the Sevierville Buckies. And I noticed that Erica was looking just a little picket, and I didn't say, I didn't say anything, and we went inside, and, you know, my rule of thumb has always been, you know, when the kids go with us like that, they just go in, get whatever they want to get, and they get their candy and their, their Coke and their Dr. Pepper. Um, and I noticed that Mason said, I don't want anything, Daddy. That ain't good. And we got to about Watertown, Carthage exit, and Erica said, just take me on to the hotel. She said, I think I got car sick. And so I took her to the hotel, and we went to Demos or Demos or whatever uh, up there, up the road here. I don't know what it's called. Y'all got the funniest pronunciation. Y'all need to learn language around here. If one more person tells me it's Lebanon, it is not Lebanon. It's Lebanon is exactly how it's spelled. Anyways, we went to Demos, and we got up there, and... I got back to the hotel room. We went to bed, and at 12.35, I realized that we had been invaded. <clears throat> now, we have had the stomach flus before, but you have never experienced life until you have experienced multiple people in one hotel room with the stomach flu. And about church time... Uh, I, had, I had already texted Brother Brandon and Brother Dave. Brother Dave was, on, of course, at the missions conference. And, and uh, I had taken, about church time, I had taken Mason to the, um, to the ER. He had gotten so sick. And so I had him in the emergency room. And I got there. And uh, some of the deacons started texting me. And one deacon, I will not tell you who it was, but his name was Adam Patterson. And he said to me, um, he said, Brother, I, it, it may be too late, but I wouldn't recommend taking him. And he named this one emergency room. And guess which emergency room I was sitting in? 
I didn't text back because I, I was so far from being filled with the Spirit. I had so much flesh running through my body right about 10. There was something I wanted to send to him and tell him I was his number one fan, if you know what I'm saying right there. But we got back home, and, and they got Erica and Mason uh, filled up with enough medicine. I put them in the back of that toy, uh, that Cadillac Escalade. And my mama, so helped me, hitched a ride home. <laughs> we were so sick. She hitched a ride home from Middle Tennessee to Greensboro, North Carolina. She said, I don't want to be near y'all. I don't... So help me, we got home, and my mama, she, she, she's one of these folks that everything's a sign. You know, everything's a sign. I think God's trying to tell you that's a sign. We got back home. She said, Tyler, I think God's trying to tell you something. That's a sign. You don't, you don't need to be up there. And sure enough, mama got to Greensboro, and three days later, guess what happened to her? <laughs> I sent back. I said, Mama, I guess that's your sign right there. You ain't supposed to be in Greensboro. But, man, I'm so glad to be here. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter number 2. And I'm excited. We're going to be able to stay this week. Uh, the kids are out of school, and so we'll be here for the play tonight, and then Wednesday night to be here for the service and be able to preach in the service and see what y'all do on Wednesday night. And I'm going to be honest. Every time I come in this place, I have gotten lost 14 times in this property. I have ended up in the women's Sunday school class. I've ended up in the kids' Sunday school classes. I ain't been back to my office since November the 12th. I have no idea where it is. But I am so thankful. This morning, I want to preach to you on Herod the King. Book of Matthew, chapter number 2 this morning. And I want to read to you just a couple of verses, but I want you to leave your Bibles open because I want to give you a few verses out of this chapter to show you a couple of things. But if you'll notice in verse number 1 of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 2. The Bible says in Matthew 2 and verse number 1, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, brothers and sisters, you come to the book of Matthew, chapter number 2. You are entering into the nativity story of Jesus Christ. You enter right into the smack dab middle of the birth of the Lamb of God. And as you enter into that, in verse number 1, you are introduced to a man whose name is Herod the king. This man thunders onto the scene out of nowhere, right in the middle of this story. And the writer, Matthew, he thunders in this man, Herod the king, as if you already know who he is. He doesn't tell us about his beginning. He does not tell us about his reign. doesn't tell us about where he came from or anything. It's already assumed that you and I know who this man named Herod is. And he says, I want to introduce you to a man named Herod the king. Now, what's interesting is in this chapter, there are roughly 22 
two verses that specifically deal with this man named Herod the king. Now, Herod the king lived 68 years on this earth, and yet there are only 22 verses associated with his name. Compare that to the Lord Jesus who only lived 33 and a half years, but yet the New Testament consists of 7,957 verses, and every single one of them are about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what that teaches me? It teaches me it does not matter how long you live that makes a difference. It matters what you do with that time when you're here on this earth. For 22 verses, there are things said about Herod, and not one positive thing is mentioned about Herod the Great in 22 verses. Yet there are 7,957 verses all about this man named Jesus the lowly Nazarene, Jesus the Galilean, Jesus the Rose of Sharon, Jesus the Lily of the Valley, Jesus the Bright and the Morning Star, Jesus the one that is fairer than 10,000, the Jesus that is higher and more holy than all, and not one of those verses is negative. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today, a life lived for self and sin will ultimately have you written in the annals of heaven as a negative, wrongdoing person. But a life lived for Jesus Christ and for the glory of the kingdom of God in the annals of heaven when your life is written down, no matter how short or how long, God will look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. And so all of a sudden, this man named Herod the king is thrust like a missile shot out of a rocket launcher. He launches out into our presence, launches out into our eyes, but like a shooting star, as quick as he comes, he goes. Now, Matthew does not tell us where he's from. Matthew doesn't tell us anything about him. But when you read this man, Herod the king, it's almost as if there's a bigger story going on here. It's almost as if there is something bigger, greater, higher, and more vast than you can even comprehend. Do you know why? It's because Herod is a picture of three people in your Bible. He is a type. He is a glimpse. He is a shadow. What God wants you to do is look at this man and make application to what this man represents as well as his physical life. What's he a picture of? Number one, he is a picture of Saul the king. Do you remember that man named Saul that reigned right before David? Saul was man's choice, but David was God's choice. And the way that Saul held on to his throne was by force and by murder and by killing and by pillaging. How did Herod the king hold on to his throne? By force, by murdering, by destroying, by pillaging. And so whenever you read about this man named Herod the Great, God wants you to look back to the Old Testament this man named Saul the king. And just as Saul could not stop the coming of the rightful king David, God wants you to be reminded that Herod will not stop the birth of the rightful king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just stop, plant both of my feet on my ten and a half right here and say this world can rock and reel and do whatever they want to do, but they will not stop the plan of God. They will not usurp the plan of God. They will not offset the plan of God. 
God. You don't have to be going to bed every night worried about what's going to happen here and worried about what's going to happen there. Everything in God's economy is running right on time. And in the old timer said, God's trains always run on time, even when it's not on my time. Your life is in the hands of a high and holy God, and everything is all right in your father's house. Number two, he's not just a picture of Saul the king, but number two, he is also a type and a picture of the coming Antichrist. You see, the coming Antichrist does not deserve to sit on the throne in Israel, but he's going to put himself on the throne in Israel. And just as Herod the king, he kept that throne by power and by force and by his way. So the Antichrist is going to keep his throne by force and by power just as Herod the king did. Just as Herod the king had to kill people that didn't line up with him. So the Antichrist is going to kill people that don't line up with him. But yet whenever you read about this man named Herod the Great and you can say, yeah, I see Saul in him and yeah, I see, I see the Antichrist. You see that, that it just feels like there's something deeper than this man named Herod the king. That's because number three, he is ultimately a picture of Satan himself. You see, the, this man named Herod the Great is a picture of the devil. Now, brothers and sisters, here's what you've got to understand. When God gives these stories, he gives them for our admonition and our teaching. Now, I don't know if you don't realize this or if, or if we just lost our mind in the Baptist church or we're afraid to be labeled left and right. You do understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. You know what that means? That means you and I are fighting the forces of hell. You are not fighting Democrats and Republicans. You're fighting the devil. You are not fighting another denomination. You're fighting the devil. Another person in the church is not your enemy. The devil is. Somebody at your job, it's not them that's the enemy. It's the devil. Brothers and sisters, we have an adversary right now, and he's after your kids, he's after my kids, he's after your marriage, he's after my marriage, he's after the church, he's after them, he's after everything around us. But I come to tell you today, we are not just some little haphazard behind the scenes, little fall on the wayside believer. We are more than conquerors through him that gave his life for us. We have been given the royal edict that we are victorious and are victors, so then why in the world are so many Christians beat down all the time? Why is it that if we are more than conquerors, we're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. You know what that means? It means we don't fight, we've already won. Why do we act like we're so beat? I imagine it's probably because we don't realize what's going on around us. We do not label it what it is. We do not do and act as if we're dealing with something. My mama, God bless her heart. I highly doubt y'all will ever meet her. She will not ever come back to this region ever again. I do imagine that. My mama had my grandmother. She's probably watching online right now. She's probably going to comment some ugly things when I say this story. But she can't do much about it. She's six and a half hours away. My grandmother was the, the world's worst to reuse stuff, everything. She reused 
everything. And I'm going to tell you something. My grandmother, her mother, Mama, you didn't throw stuff away without checking and opening it up and seeing what was on the inside of it. So you throw away what you thought was a can of coffee, and you throw away $1,000. She didn't trust banks. You know where she, she put her money deposited? In a coffee can in the backyard. The problem with that is you better make sure when you go to the refrigerator and you open up a mason jar and you think it's molasses, if you're not careful, you liable to get an old can of snuff juice. <laughs> they didn't throw anything away. If Mamaw, if Mamaw would do that snuff, yeah, some of y'all have no idea. They've outlawed tobacco so hard. They, y'all don't even know what snuff is anymore in this part of the world. But back where I'm from, it's tobacco-picking country. Son, you could preach on liquor, you could preach on shacking up, but you preach on tobacco, they'll vote you out of the church where I'm from. <laughs> Dave's been down where I'm from. You don't, you don't preach on tobacco down there. Mamaw would get that snuff, and if it was dark, she'd take that snuff, and she would eventually put it out on her garden and all her stuff, and I guess it was supposed to fertilize. I don't have any idea. But if you thought that was molasses and you poured that on a cathead biscuit you'd busted open, you know you'd been to the gates of hell by the time it was over with. <laughs> you know why? Because the label said one thing, but the contents were another thing. And if you didn't check it out, you could get yourself in a world of hurt. Brothers and sisters, there are people in this room right now, people watching us online. They are dealing with stuff, and they're labeling it one thing, but in fact, it is really opposition from the forces of our adversary, the devil. But God doesn't want you and I being ignorant of the attacks against our marriage, being ignorant of the attacks against our faith, being ignorant of the attacks against the church. He wants us to label it down. So I want us to look at this man named Herod the king and see what He's got to tell us about our adversary, the devil. Number one, I want to show you first and foremost, Herod's torment. Look in verse number two and in verse number three of this chapter. Chapter two, verse number two. Watch what the Bible says. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now look in verse number three. Watch what it says. When Herod... The king. Look back at verse number two. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? There's no article in front of that word king. But does anything strike you about that K in king? It's capitalized. Now look in verse number three. When you look at Herod the king... What do you notice? There's an article there, but is that king capitalized? No, it's not. Do you know why? King of the Jews was a title that had been reserved for the coming Messiah. You see, the Jews believed that when the Messiah would come, he would take the title King of the Jews. Now, here's what's interesting. At the beginning of his life, Jesus was labeled King of the Jews. And upon the cross, whenever Pilate rode upon the, the top of that cross, what was the one title that he made sure to put at the cross? 
crown of that cross. He said, I want everybody to know that this man right here, he was born king and he's dying king. And one day when he comes back, Revelation says, he's going to be crowned with many crowns because he's still the king. Now, I said all that to say this. Watch this. Here's what Herod had taken upon himself. He had taken the title of king of the Jews. And anybody that came into the presence of Herod the king, they had a mandate that they had to bow before him and say, all hail the king of the Jews. But that day, three magi, three wise men from another country, son, they walk into his presence and they don't bow down. They don't get on their knees. They don't say, all hail king of the Jews. They looked at Herod and his God-given eyeballs and they said, we got a question, big boy. I know you are the king, but we didn't come looking for the king. We came looking for king of the Jews. And honey, all of a sudden, Herod's heart began to tremble. You know why? Because he knew that may be his title in his head, but it was not the title had been given him by his birth. And son, he began to shake and quake on the inside. I said all that to say this. Do you know why the devil is so nervous right now? He knows at the end of the day, he's already a defeated foe. He knows at the end of the day, he may want a title in his life, but he does not deserve that title because there's another king. And he's not just a king. He's not just some king. He is not just the king. He's the only king. He's the only way. And right now, every day when the sun comes up, the devil can't stand that he is not the focus of the love of God. Do you realize whenever the temple was built and the Shekinah went up, the devil got mad that that Shekinah was not pointing to him. And whenever those singers would sing and shed that blood, he got so mad that blood wasn't about him and they weren't singing about him. Every time the devil leaves this earth and goes into the presence of God to present himself with the sons of God, he gets so mad as the angels fly by the throne, got their hands covered and got their eyes covered and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He can't stand the fact they're not talking about him. You know what the devil hates most of all? He can't stand the fact that when we sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee. He can't stand that that thee is not about him. Whenever your family goes and eats lunch here in just a little bit and you go to Whataburger or you go to Demos, say amen right there, and you sit down and daddy or mama says, now babies, we're going to bow our head and we're going to ask the blessing and thank God that he gave us his food. The devil can't stand the fact that you're not talking to him and you don't worship him. He can't stand the fact that our songs are pointing to the king of the Jews. He can't stand the fact that I worship the king of the Jews. And right now, the reason that he rages and the reason that he moans and the reason that he whines is he can't stand as a band of people down in Lebanon, Tennessee and still believe that there is one God in heaven and there's only one way to heaven and his name is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he rages. Oh, how he rages right now. The devil's nerves are far more tore up than yours are ever going to be. Have you ever been around somebody had tore up nerves? Man, I know you ain't going to say amen, but how many of you have been around your wife when her nerves are tore up? 
Is anybody else married to a woman that she's not happy when her nerves are tore up until yours are just as torn up? And there ain't nothing that my wife can, can tolerate any less. She despises this Troy Peach whenever her nerves are tore up. When you look at her and say, calm down. It's like my wife's one desire when her nerve, and I'm going to tell you something, when my nerves get tore up, I ain't happy to tell everybody in my house is tore up. Don't you dare tell me when my nerves are tore up, it's going to be okay. How about I rip your face off and then we'll find that it ain't going to be okay. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, the devil's the same way. His nerves are tore up from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. And when you're sitting there just as happy as you can be, knowing you're heaven bound with the hammer down and your life is in the hands of God and you've got the peace of God that passes understanding in your heart and you're just happy and you're thinking about eating lunch and you're thinking about coming back for the Christmas program tonight and you're just glad that you've got a job and glad you've got food in your, at your house and you've got clothes on your back. The devil can't stand that kind of peace. And so he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get their nerves so tore up so that they look back at me. I want them to see that I'm the one in charge. But I tell you right now, that's why the Bible doesn't tell us to flee the devil. It tells us to resist the devil because the devil can't take it when he starts talking to you, saying it's not going to be okay. You look the devil back in his spiritual eyeballs and say my life is in the hands of God. It's all going to be okay. Somebody probably may want to start talking to their issue and saying I ain't going to worry about this no more. There ain't a thing I can do about it worrying about it. So I may as well realize it's going to be okay. Herod's torment. Number two, I want you to keep looking down in the chapter, verse number four, five, and six. Look at Herod's opportunity. Brothers and sisters, see in verse four it says, When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. For they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, shall rule my people Israel. Think about something. For two years the wise men had come from Persia looking at a star. For two years they'd been keeping their eyes on a flaming ball of fire in the skies. Every day for two years, guess who else saw that big star shining in the sky? Herod, the king. And not one time did he look up from where he was and say, I wonder why that star is. You know what he had done? He wasted his opportunity. Isn't it amazing that two people can see the same thing and reach different conclusions? You know how two people can look at the same thing and see different conclusions? It has everything to do with if they're trying to maintain their own power. Herod would not even begin to ask where that star was there for because the wise men had come not knowing the fullness. Herod had the scribes there in his own city and wouldn't even go ask them. Can I ask you just a random question? Have you stopped for one second and said, Lord, why'd that happen to me? Lord, what are you trying to teach me right now? 
Lord, why is it the wheels came off and I, I don't know why. You do realize right now there are different characters in our story, but every single one of us go through pretty much the same things. Different characters in the play, but the same play we all run through. We all have problems. We all have pains. We all have situations. Isn't it amazing one person can get a cancer diagnosis and look up and say, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Another person can get the same diagnosis with the same cancer and get bitter and hard. Do you know why this person gets bitter and that person gets better? Because this person over here says, Lord, I gave you my life all those years ago. And what you decide to do with it is your business. This person over here got bitter because they said, Lord, this is not what I thought my life would look like. This is not what I thought my family would look like. I was 18 years old, being called to preach for three weeks. My mother and father sat me down one day and said, we're not going to be together anymore. My father left, and here I am with my mother and my sister. I looked up to God, and I said, God, this isn't what I thought. This is not the life I thought I had planned. Just a couple of months ago, I had my life working in order, and a phone call changed my life and said, we'd like to talk to you about coming to Middle Tennessee see one person can look at one set of circumstances and get better but another person can look at the same set of circumstances and take the opportunity that is given to you and I isn't it amazing you've got angels flying around the throne saying holy 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 and they never even look on God but yet Ezekiel 28 tells us that Lucifer Satan was the anointed cherub that covered he actually got to behold the presence of God. And for six and a half thousand years, those angels have been circling the throne saying, Lord, I'm content not looking at you because what I am beholding is enough for me to shout holy, holy, holy. But yet Lucifer in Isaiah chapter number 14, he said, I'm not satisfied. Therefore, I will ascend up to the throne of the highest. I will make my bed. I will do this. Ladies and gentlemen, you can have the same opportunity as this person. What are you doing with the opportunity given to you? The devil wants us to get bitter and mean and ugly and snarled up, cantankerous. But the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is pumping that fire right now saying, Bow. I, I'm not a car guru. Troy, I don't want to work on cars. I don't care that I don't know how to work on cars. I don't want to change my own oil. I don't care what that makes me. I don't want it. I don't care anything about that. I don't care anything about anything about anything about vehicles. But I do care one thing about a vehicle. I want it to have two things. Number one, I want it to have air conditioning that works. Don't give me this made in Korea stuff and come 110 degrees outside. You sweat through 14 layers of clothes just because the air conditioner can't pull it. Number two, you know what? I want leather seats. That, that ain't a bougie thing. It's a cleanliness thing for me. Somebody get in your car and they got junk on their seat and on their clothes and they get that mud on them cloth seats. You ain't getting that out of that seat. And if you ever get it out of the seat, you ain't ever going to get the memory of it off of that. Leather, you can wipe that leather down. 
I got a Toyota Sequoia. It's got leather interior in it. Things paid for. I'm hoping to drive that thing 495,000 miles is what I'm hoping to get out of it. I got leather seats in there. And I'm going to tell you something. They are as smooth and soft as if I cut them off a cow yesterday, baby. I've gotten in some rental cars, and in the Holy Land, it's the worst. You get in some of those cars over there, that leather is brittle. It'll snap the moment you sit on it. What's the difference between the two? Are you ready? One is tough. The other's hard. You know what I want in my life? I want to get tough without getting hard. Do you know how you keep leather tough but keep it pliable? You got to keep applying the oil and you got to keep applying water. You got to make sure that when water gets on it, you put just as much oil back on it and keep that thing tough and without getting hard. Brothers and sisters, there are people in this room right now and the circumstances of life have made you hard. And that's why something comes and it breaks you in a thousand pieces. But there's other believers in this room and you've walked down to the very gates of hell and you've had to deal with all the warfare and all of the struggles and all the trials and all the fears and all the anxieties but every time they come your way you bow yourself at the feet of the Lamb of God and say Holy Ghost keep anointing me so that I can handle this heartbreak keep anointing me so that I can carry this trial brothers and sisters you go down to the grave of a loved one and you got tears in your eyes and your heart's broken in a thousand pieces but you look up to heaven and you say oh God don't let me get hard don't let me get bitter keep me tender in this trial I don't want to miss it, God. I don't want to mess up, God. Ladies and gentlemen, you have opportunities every day of your life. Don't let the opportunity God's given you turn you in a way that it ought not turn you. Number three, let me keep going. You don't just look at the opportunity, but number three in verse 7 and 8, look at Herod's agenda. Watch what it says in verse number 7 and 8. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when we have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. Boy, Herod looked at those wise men and he said, boys, do me a favor. I'm so excited that this king of the Jews is born in my jurisdiction. I'm so happy to go worship him. You be sure that when you go, come back and tell me where he's at so I can go worship. Wise men didn't listen to him. You know why? Something told them he was lying. Can I, can I tell you what that word is? Are you ready for some big, long word that nobody likes to talk about today? Are you ready? We call it discernment. 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 If you want to write down a definition of what discernment is, discernment is the ability to differentiate. It's knowing light from darkness. It's knowing righteousness from unrighteousness. Let me put it to you in country boy definitions. You ready? Discernment is knowing what's there even though you can't see it. It's hearing what is even though you didn't hear it. Can I ask you a question? 
You ever, you ever met somebody? And I mean, they had PhDs, they had, they had MDs, they had, they, had every, they had every degree that came beside you could get out of school. They had, they had the doctors of education, and they had a theology master, and they had a theology doctorate, and they had a, they had a phil- philosophical doctorate. They had, they had everything. I mean, they were mad, but they were dumber than a box of rocks. You ever met somebody that had all the education but they honestly did not know when to take an umbrella because they were calling for rain. I got people like that in my life. I know preachers like that. They have got more degrees than a thermometer. But they have no idea when the Holy Ghost is in the house. They have been through classes and been through all types of seminars. But they can't tell you that just what, what just walked in the door and what just sat down in the pew is the devil himself. But on the flip side, I've met some preachers that didn't even graduate high school. So I mean, they didn't have a Bible degree. They didn't even know what a Bible college looked like. They drove past one one time on the way to the hoedown to get their potluck pinto bean supper. But yet when you had a thing or a situation in your life and you needed direction, guess who you went and talked to? That little preacher. Do you know why? Because you knew he had been given something. Do you know what he had been given? He had been given discernment by the Holy Ghost. Isn't it interesting in John chapter number 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said when he, the Holy Ghost, has come, he will lead you in truth and he will guide you in all things. It's interesting what Paul said in Ephesians chapter number 6. He said, take unto you the helmet of salvation. Take unto you the breastplate of righteousness. But make sure that your loins are girt about with truth. Wait a second. I've heard some preachers that were pretty smart but got that wrong. How many of you have heard it said before that your loins were to be girt about with truth and that truth had to be the scriptures? Well, that can't be right because the Bible says above all. Right, after, right before you take the shield of faith, lift up the sword of the spirit which is the Word of God. So what are that, what's that loin girt about with truth? That's Holy Ghost discernment. Because the loins are where the reproductive organs are. And when you know the difference between right and wrong, good and bad, you will reproduce good. Can I tell you what's wrong with the Southern Baptist Convention that you and I are a part of? You are seeing it led by people that have got degrees, but they have no discernment. And therefore, they are leading the people of God down all types of paths. Do you know what's wrong with the Pentecostal Holiness Church? You've got people, they know the Bible, but they don't spend time in the presence of God. And they don't know the difference between good and bad. Mama, do you know what you need above a school education? You need Holy Ghost discernment. 
Daddy, do you know what we need in this day? Above all things, we need Holy Ghost discernment. Do you know what you need before you take that job? You need Holy Ghost discernment. Do you know what you need in that business deal? You need Holy Ghost. Y'all act like y'all are getting nervous right now. That's why we're like a bunch of catfish at the end of a poison, uh, the end of a poisonous tube, and we're sucking in every piece of junk that comes out of that pipe. And now we've got people that are messed up. Our families are messed up. We need somebody that says, you know what? I don't think that's what Herod meant. I know that's what Herod said, but I don't think that's what Herod meant. And I'm not going to listen to that. And the devil tells you one thing, and the devil speaks in your life lies and tell you you're not this and tell you you're not that, how you'll never accomplish this. And you've got to have that Holy Ghost discernment to know that's not what he really means, and that's not what God wants you to believe. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to have discernment to know the difference between the voice of the devil and the leading of the Holy Ghost. Tyler, I'm not smart enough to have that. Neither am I. But if any man lack wisdom, if any man, can I give you the Greek definition of any, any? I studied it in Hebrew. You know what any means in Hebrew? Any. I studied it in German one time. You know what any means in German? Any. Any man like wisdom. Let him ask of God. And giveth to all men liberally. Now, I'm not much on them liberals. But when it's God being the liberal one, I like it pretty good. You know what the book of Proverbs says? They that fear the Lord understand all things. That's why your grandmama that never graduated high school, but yet she knew exactly what you ought to be doing, knew exactly who you ought to be around, knew what to do about that job. You know why? Honey, somewhere in the midnight hour, she knelt down in a closet somewhere, and it opened up her Bible and put her snuff jar outside the closet. Say amen right there. And said, Lord, I've got a family, and they need direction, and my husband's already gone to heaven, and I'm not going to let the devil take my family down the path of foolishness. I'm not going to let the devil take my my kids down the path of this. We need mamas with discernment. We need preachers with discernment. We need deacons with discernment. We need daddies with discernment. We need college kids with discernment. Let me just stop and hoe in that garden for just a little bit. I understand, youngins, that you're going down to these colleges and you're having to go down and sit in these classrooms and these demon-possessed professors, they want to turn your heart in every which way. You stand there like an old oak tree and say, come hell, come high water, come winds, come wave. I shall not be moved. You need discernment. Brothers and sisters, that was his agenda. We've got to have discernment. I got to go. I'm almost done. Number three, number four. You've got to also look at Herod's rival. Look in verse number 13, 14, and 15 of the same chapter. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to promise you. This may be my last point. If I can get hunkered down right here, because this is going to help somebody. Watch what happens in verse 13, 14, and 15 of this chapter. The Bible says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse 14, And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and he was there until the death of 
of Herod. Wait a second. Man, Herod realized he'd been lied to about that little baby boy. He realized he'd been lied to about where that young child was. And Herod was going to make a decree that every boy child under the age of two years old that had been born in Bethlehem was going to be killed, was going to be murdered. So he finds out. Hear me now. He finds out. He finds out that those wise men have lied to him. Those wise men have led him. I'm going somewhere. Don't jump off the wagon. He realizes those wise men have done something to him that he's not going to be able to get over. And he says, I wonder what I can do. I got an idea. I got a plan. I'm going to kill every baby. And he makes the decree. Over here, he realizes and formulates the plan. And whenever he's getting ready to put the plan in place, he gets over here and he makes the decision. Sunday, kill every baby. That little two-year-old and under, he kills every baby. Do you time out? Let me just say this. How do you know that abortion is of the devil because the only time in history you ever see children murdered it's at the it's at the decree of a demon possessed person just like Herod the Great time back in and let me just keep on a mowing in this field all of a sudden he makes the decree and they come back and they say did you find him did you find him did you find him they said well Herod we killed everybody that we could find he said whoo that takes care of that problem Herod's on his deathbed Herod goes into the 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 far reaches of eternal damnation and for 31 and a half years he is burning there on the other side of hell and 31 and a half years later all of a sudden hell opens up and there's a man standing betwixt the two on one side is Abraham's bosom on the other side are the very gates of hell and he's standing there and he has come to preach liberty to the captives and to set at liberty those that are bound and it's Jesus Christ. Honey, he's preaching there according to Ephesians chapter number 4 and he's come to lead captivity captive and he takes those people out of the bosom. I'm going somewhere and I'm about to get there happier than I've been in a long time. Son, he takes those people out of the bosom of Abraham and he leads them back into the very presence of God and as he's walking away, Herod is burning in hell and he looks over at somebody and he says, who was that? He said, I can't altogether tell you who that was but they say that he was a child that was born in Bethlehem of Ephratah 33 and a half years ago. Herod starts doing the math in his head and he says my God in heaven I thought I killed every child 33 and a half years ago that was born in Bethlehem of Ephratah. So here is my question. How in the world when Herod got the plan over here and he executed it over here did it not come to pass? I'll tell you why because he was fighting somebody and right here in the middle of the story in the middle of the night the angel of God looks at Joseph and said Joseph tomorrow there's a decree that's going to come you need to do something about it tonight now here's what I want to show you if Herod is just facing Jesus and Joseph as that little baby he's going to win but Jesus and Joseph and Mary have got somebody on their side that's bigger than them and bigger than Herod and it's the first person of the Trinity I said all that to say this it may look like the devil's coming against you it may look like the devil's coming against your family and if it's just us versus the devil we're done we're through we're gone we ought to already be in hell but right now I may have an adversary but honey at the right hand of God the Father I've got an advocate and he says before the adversary can come against you I Father have got a better plan oh my 
Therefore, I don't fight the devil. I just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Mamas and daddies, you got youngins. Do you ever feel like you're fighting a losing battle? You ever feel like you take one step forward and you take 35 steps back? Some of you grandmamas and granddaddies have got grandchildren and you wake up in the middle of the night scared to death about the world they're going to grow up in. Can I help you with something? Your grandmama and granddaddy were just as scared of the world you were going to grow up in. How in the world are we going to make it when we got an adversary like that? While I was sleeping last night, Psalm tells me, that the Lord in heaven neither slumbers nor sleeps. And when I was laying in my bed with my head on my pillow, there was a God in heaven and a somebody at his right hand, and he is my advocate. And they had dispatched the third person of the Trinity, and he had been keeping watch over me in the middle of the night. I want to tell every husband. I want to tell every wife. I want to tell every child. I want to tell every grandmama. I want to tell every widow. I want to tell every person walking through the very gates of hell and through the fiery trial. You are not by yourself. Honey, you got the big three standing with you. You got God the Father, God the Son, and God the sweet Holy Ghost. And that's not the only thing you've got. The Bible says that the angel goes before me and the angels stand behind me. I've got angels to my right side. I've got angels to my left side. I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb of God. I cannot be anywhere else but where God wants me to be. At the end of the day, Herod has a rival. And so does Satan today in my life. Brothers and sisters, I didn't wake up this morning and fight the devil by myself, and neither do you. I never had a big brother. I've always wanted one. Troy, you can be my big brother. I always want a big brother, and I'll tell you why. I ain't never liked to fight. I don't want to fight. I ain't never wanted to fight. I, I just don't, I don't, the thought of it just don't even bless me at all. But I've always wanted a big brother so that when the boogeyman started bothering me, I could go tell my big brother, Bubba, I got a problem. And I've always wanted to see my Bubba stand up and say, where's he at? And I always wanted to see my Bubba go out to where that booger man was and look at him and say, why don't you pick on somebody your own size? I don't have a big brother in this life. But I got one in the next, and his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. And the day I got saved, I got baptized into the body of Christ. Jesus became my elder brother, and the Father became my heavenly Father. And every day when I wake up, I can go to my heavenly Father, and I can say, Father, I don't deserve to be in your presence, but my big brother stands up about that time. And he says, now, Father, he doesn't deserve to be in your presence, but he did not come by himself. And he lifts over his garment, and he sees 
sees that side where he was riven and he says father here is where they were inserted into the beloved this is where they became an engrafted branch right here in my side so father not for their sake fight the adversary but for my sake fight the adversary you're not by yourself so stand on your spiritual feet throw your shoulders back and say devil I'm going with God. Let's bow our heads all over the congregation this morning.